So I've had the last couple of weeks where I've not been preaching. I've had an opportunity to, to hear the other guys preach, first Ken and then, then George last week. And, you know, as I got a chance to do a little bit more reflection sometimes when, you know, when you're not preparing a sermon every week, you get a little bit more time for reflection. And one of the things that really struck me was that literally since the second week of September, we've been kind of hammering away pretty hard at a lot of pretty significant issues, you know, just kind of replaying the tape kind of you know, from, from now backwards, I mean, last week we talked about the fact that we can, we can, quote unquote, be living for God in our own lives and still be draft dodgers. Because God's called all of us to be disciple makers. And many of us can say, well, I'm a disciple, but we can still be really draft, dodging the draft of God because we're not being disciple makers. We're not passing our faith on to others. We're not guiding people on how to live closer with God. And that's a pretty heavy word. I'm sure there was more than just a few of us who walked out of here with some bruised toes because they got stepped on pretty good. You know, and before that, we were looking at it, working through a Christmas series. You know, and we looked at the Advent conspiracy where we talked about spending less and giving more and loving all and those kinds of things. And those are just simple, light, fluffy kind of messages, right? You know? And then we just spent literally a couple of months looking at this whole issue of living with the end in mind. You know, we, we, we tried to adopt a new definition of success, and we understood that success was to to live with an ongoing, heartfelt commitment to being the people that God wanted us to be. And we began to explore exactly what that would take and, and how we'd look in the very basics of our lives, our relationships and our careers and our finances and all those kinds of things. And, and there was a lot there to, to bring some deep conviction, some heavy stuff. And some of you talked to me about some of that heavy stuff. And then before then, we had the whole add one emphasis, embracing the reality that God has literally called our church, like every church, to be a part of change in the world. Not enough to meet budget. It's not enough just to have the heat on or the water in the baptistry not to be cold for a change. That's not enough to consider success. Our, our mission is to change the world. We ought to see our communities different because of the way that we do our life as a congregation and the way that our, we live our lives out in the world. And so we look through the things that God always uses to change the world. Things like growing as a child of God through participating in the corporate discipleship of worship, learning from God together as a big group, and then also gathering together in small groups where we are known intimately, and through those interactions centered on the Word, we, we find a way to help each other grow in Christ. We talked about serving. God's given each and every one of us a, a way, an actual means to make a contribution to the kingdom, and we need to be doing that. And we need to be reaching out, giving our faith away. God always uses our relationships and the way that we can share our faith to change the world. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of heavy things that we've been processing, right? You know, and, and, I, and I, I almost got the sense that maybe it could almost be just a little, little oppressive, you know? I mean, it's, it's, all this stuff has a sense of urgency about it. It's very demanding. We know it has this, this just an, an, this eternal sense to it, if you know what I mean. It, 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 and it's heavy things, and it, and it really brings a lot of life adjustment to us. And, and I really felt the need just to take a Sunday and, and kind of connecting with some winter warm-up kind of things. What an appropriate day for a winter warm-up. My car said one degree on the way over here. I mean, it's pretty cold. Just a reminder of why, why it is that we do church life the way that we do it, what, what's really on our heart, what we're really asking God to do, and to connect that with, with what we've been talking about through all these days. You know, I, I put in your, your worship guides that our, 
Our mission as a congregation, we understood this from the, the, the first day that God called us into existence, that the reason God called Hope Chapel into existence was to assist everyone to experience all God intends them to be. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means in just a moment. But we do that by providing the loving spiritual community in which they can experience the life-transforming love of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're here to bring glory to God by trying to make contact with, with everyone that God puts across our path and to serve them in some capacity that they become more of the person that God wants them to be, that they become all of the person that God wants them to be. And we do that by being the community, the church God wants us to be. And in that community, they can experience this life-changing love of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus put it just a little differently on what's really been my theme verse for our church, which is John 10.10. You know, and I've listed it there at the top of your sermon outlines. And, you know, if you want to look at it in context in in your Bible, it's on John chapter 10. It's the last of the four Gospels. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 911, 911. The whole context of this parable about the Good Shepherd, and I'm just going to pull out a few verses related to it, verses 7 through 10, is that Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath who had been blind since birth. We don't know exactly how old this man was, but he was old enough to be of age, meaning that he wasn't just a child, he was considered to be an adult. Might have been 14, might have been 24, we don't know, but he, he, he probably was on the younger side. His parents were still alive, but, but he was an adult, you know. And Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath. He had taken some clay, he had spit on it, applied it to the man's eyes, And for the first time since he drew a breath on the planet, he was able to see. Now think about that, the significance of that. All the Pharisees cared about, the religious leaders were, it happened on the Sabbath. Not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Healing people on the Sabbath is work, you know? And so they call this guy in and say, well, who did this? And how did he do it? And what did did he actually do? And they're trying to figure out if he violated the codes of too much work on the Sabbath day kind of idea. And so they're, they're pestering him, you know, like, you know, who is he? You know, and they're, and they're saying, well, you know, he's got to be of Satan. Well, he can't do this stuff. And they're going on and on. And at the end of the day, because this young man who's been healed by Jesus will not denounce Jesus because he healed him on the Sabbath, he's kicked out of the church. That's it. We're done with you. Boom. And out he goes. And in that context, Jesus tells the story of the good shepherd. And he identifies himself as a good shepherd. And we pick up with verse 7. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That word abundance is is probably not strong enough. This word in, in the Greek language in which it was written, originally written is a very intense and, and word. It almost has the idea of super abundance. It's just, you know, he, Jesus says, I didn't come for you just to have life, but I, had you, I came for you to have life that is beyond imagination. You can't even conceive of how good. That's the kind of life that I've come to give you, a super abundant kind of life. And, you know, when we started Hope Chapel, we realized that wasn't the vast majority of people's experiences. You know, and, and we found in this verse uh, a blueprint of what it was that we wanted God to do with Hope Chapel. You know, there's lots of ways to build a house, right? I mean, you can build a cape, you can build a colonial, you can build a gambrel, you can build a ranch, you can build a contemporary style. There's lot, you know, they're all houses, they're all good. I mean, you've got you to find a way to, what, what image, what style really fits you. Well, in this verse, we found how it is that we really felt God wanted to build our ministry, which was to indu- introduce people 
on how to live abundantly. To live with this superabundance that God offers. I mean, we looked around and a lot of people, they, they don't even, they don't, certainly didn't, don't have superabundance. Many people don't even have life at all. They, they have an idea that they believe in God, and yet they don't really know what, it, what God can mean to their everyday lives. They don't know what they're supposed to mean to God. And they really don't have life at all. And Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. But even so many of those who claim to have, have life were living lives that, that, didn't have, that didn't have any of the marks of abundance whatsoever. It's interesting, a story is told about a time when a, a Roman soldier came to Julius Caesar, and he, he asked for permission to kill himself. He came and said, you know, my life's so miserable. I, I want you to give me permission to kill myself, you know? And, and Julius Caesar looked at him and said, were you ever alive, you know? And, and, and sometimes you can look at believers and you're going to say, were you, are, are you really alive, <laughs> you know? I mean, the, the marks of, of, of life are just missing. There's no real joy. Their lives are full of conflict. You know, they seem, still seem to be grasped by a lot of kind of worldly things, finding their happiness in what they have, or, or, their, or finding their agony in what they don't have. And, and, and the list just kind of goes on and on. There's no real sense of kingdom mission. There's no significance in their lives. They're, they're just trying to get by week by week by week. That's not what God wants for us at all. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, and have it in such a way that it's actually going to just boggle your mind. It's going to be abundant. You know, the imagery that I love to use early on, and now that I'm trying to lose weight, I'm trying not to focus on these images just as much, but some of you have been around for a long time, and you knew the illustrations I used to use in my former days, you know, when, you know, there's um, several places around here, that there are these all-you-can-eat buffets. You know, there's, there's one of those up in Portland, Maine, at the main mall. There's several down in Connecticut. I got them on my GPS. I know where they're all at, you know, and... You know, it's the kind of place you can go in and you can eat all the roast beef or ham or chicken or whatever you want. They got all kinds of stuff. But then they got the ice cream section, right? You know, and, and, and they put out these little teeny cups for those things, you know? I mean, it's like a Dixie cup. I mean, you got to go back over to the soup section and get one of the big bowls, you know? And, and you come over and, and, and you just, you know, you just fill it as much as you can. And so the ice cream is mounted on top. It's dripping. And then you start putting on the strawberry sauce and the nuts. And so by the time, you know, you need a plate to go underneath it because it's just dripping all off the sides, right? That's the way God wants our lives to look, spiritually. That our lives just can't hold it. And we need to put a spiritual plate up underneath. And everything that we've been talking about since September is about trying to help you live that life of superabundance. All of it is designed not to try to get you to do something, for us to squeeze something out of you, but to say, this is what it takes. This is what it means to live with the superabundance that God offers us. It's all designed to be a blessing. In fact, if I... You know, we've had this slogan from the very beginning that our mission as a congregation is to build a legacy of hope. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a giving of hope that occurs over and over and over again. It's an endless cycle of blessing where we're passing on the skills and the, and the assistance and the, and the prayers and the understanding and the truths that promote superabundance in our lives, to live our lives with that overflowing kind of stuff. And with that, there's just this ongoing challenge for us. For us to be able to, if you will, to, to connect the dots on how all this stuff goes together. The, the Bible reading that we're constantly encouraging you to do. We're constantly challenging you to get involved with a life group, you know, and, and, or, and to get into some kind of a small group Bible study where people know you and you get to a place where you can ask questions about the Word, you know, how to, how to be a part of worship and, and how to share your faith and to serve. and all, this, all of that stuff has been designed. And at the heart and soul of it is for us to have life. 
and to have it super abundantly. And, and I just want to remind you of a few truths this morning about this super abundant life that God's seeking to give us. And why all this stuff that we've been talking about, that's my favorite theological term, stuff, you know. This, all, all the add one stuff and how to change the world and how to live with the end in mind, all this is rooted in the realities of these next three truths. And the first of all is that, that superabundant living is supposed to be practical. It's supposed to be real. It's not the figment of some imagination. It's not an ivory tower type of theory. It's supposed to be something that's actually real. You experience it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's designed to be real. I love what Jesus says in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and he'll find pasture. The life of a sheep was to go out, to come in, and find pasture. You can put a bracket on their entire lives. It says, I've come that you might have life. So everything that's a part of your life is marked by life. It's marked by incredible living. It's designed to be practical. It's supposed to work in your living room, your kitchen, your backyard, your bedroom, your work cubicle. It's supposed to work everywhere. It's designed to be super abundant. You know, it's designed to be practical. That's why, every, I think it's on your bulletin this morning. I didn't look. This should be a little slogan. It says, when faith meets life, hope happens. Everything that we do, trying to introduce you into the Word, get you to read the Scripture, whether it's reading the Bible through or reading certain sections at certain times of the year or, or reading through the New Testament as we're doing together, whether it's you know, being in a Sunday school class or being in a life group or, or getting involved with a Bible study at work or whatever, all that is designed to introduce you to take the truths of God and apply them to real life because when faith meets life, that's when hope really happens. That's when superabundant living begins to take shape because it's supposed to work in the real world. It's not just a theory. It's supposed to actually work in our lives. You and I should actually sense joy. And I got to tell you, what an incredible privilege it has been over these last 10 years, almost 10 years, to see the impact of people who experience superabundance in their real lives. And I tell you, there's been some incredible journeys you know, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to make Mary and, and Zach any sadder, but, you know, just to go and visit with Keith Lucian and to realize he, as he faced death through this horrible cancer that he had, that he never, ever, ever once feared death. That's super abundant living. You know, to go visit with, with Sean and, and Julie and, and, and to, to just to, to hear them give testimony of, on, in terms of how the, our prayers are lifting them up and carry them along and, and just how they can see God's hand. It's, it's super abundant living as he struggles with the horrible impacts of leukemia on his life. You know, it, and, and I've seen it as, as people have processed unemployment experiences and sicknesses and significant change to their lives and loss of loved ones. So let's just, let's just kind of goes on and on. And, and those are the major things. You can see in the, in the minor things as well. We teach, we emphasize all of this so that when life really starts to happen, and it's gonna, Jesus said, you know, the rain's gonna fall, the wind's gonna blow, the river's gonna rise, it's gonna try to burst against your house that you are in a position, that we're all in a position to be able to live our lives with abundance, with that, the bowl of our life overflowing <laughs> with all the stuff that really makes it tasty. And so we emphasize making sure that we have our definition of success right. Because if you don't have your definition of success right, you're, you're never going to experience abundant living. And the list just can go on and on. I don't want to re-preach four or five months worth of sermons to you. 
You know, the second aspect of this superabundant living and how this all kind of ties together for us is that living with superabundance requires real change. You know, it, it, it takes real life change. You, you, you know, it's, it's not one of these things where we come in, we can, if we can, if we can pass the written examination somehow or another, you know, we can, we can pass, you know. Um, you know, it, it, that's, not, that's not the impact of, of the way it works at all. I mean, in order for you and I to experience superabundance in our lives, we have to be ready to change. There, there probably isn't a simpler spiritual truth than this one. You cannot go with God and stay the same. You know, and you, you cannot. I mean, what, what did Paul say? You know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Spiritual, this change into living abundant life, super abundant life, it, revol- it involves real change to our lives. You know, and it, and it takes real work. This spiritual law that you cannot stay the same and get closer to God, and walk with God, and experience more of God, or, or whatever phrase you want to put it, that spiritual law cannot be violated. It is never broken. If you want to experience more of God in your life, more of His power, more of His strength, more of His hope, more of His peace, more of His healing power, any of those kinds, if you, it always involves change in our lives. In fact, embedded in our logo, and I don't know if we have it to bring up here or not on our screen, you know, you'll notice just as you drive by the sign today, you know, there's a, there's a cross that's on our sign. And there's some bursts, ray, it's supposed to be like sunbursts, you know, like discovery bursts off of, off of our cross you'll see out there. And, and then, but before that, there's this squiggly little black line that leads up to the cross. And it indicates that this is a journey. There, there is an ongoing journey and there's a daily journey of coming to the cross and experiencing this life-giving, this abundance that God has for us. And I will tell you, as, a, as someone who's living in the final days of his 50th year on the planet, of somebody who has been pastoring for over 25 years, experiencing real change is hard work. And it is a team effort. You delude yourself. I delude myself if I think I can do this on my own. Can't. That's why the scripture tells us not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but, but all the more as we see the day growing near, gather together so we can encourage one another and consider how to stimulate one another to love and the good works. And you can find many places where our relationships are designed to be edifying. They're supposed to build us up and move us. We need each other. That's why God says that we are members of a body. And that's why we just hammer over and over again that you need to be in spiritual community. Because what spiritual community does is allow you not to violate if you get in there and you get honest, you're studying the Word together, you're working with other people, they're going to help you see when you're trying to put new wine into old wineskins. Or when you're trying to put an unshrunk piece of cloth, an old, a new patch, on an old piece. There's some stories. Many of you have been doing the New Testament Bible reading. You remember from the end of Luke chapter 5 that we read just a few days ago. You know, Jesus said, you know, you can't put new wine into old wineskins because wine, as it ferments, it expands. And leather, after a while, is it, you know, they, these pouches were all made out of leather. They, they contract and they get harder. And so if you put in, you fill it with new wine and this starts to expand, it's just going to pop that sack and everything's just going to run all over the place. Or if you've got a garment that's got to be replaced, I mean, you know, they didn't have pre-shrunk wool back, you know, in the first century. So if you sewed something on it that wasn't shrunk already, that it, after you wash it a few times, that new piece is going to start to shrink and it's going to tear away from the old, you know. And it's not going to look very good when... Christine, Christina and I lived in Texas, 
you know, we, we, rented a, we rented an apartment, you know, and when she finally got out of school, and well, I shouldn't say finally, when she graduated from school and got a job, we made the big move down the landing from the one-bedroom apartment to the two-bedroom apartment, which was a real big step up. I had about a year and a half of seminary left, and, you know, and, um, and so one Saturday, we're in this apartment, and, and I'm, I'm watching football, college football on television, and I'm, I'm cleaning up my cowboy boots for church the next day, you know. I was living in Texas, so I was polishing my shoes, and, and they have a special things you put on the heel, you know, it's like almost, it's almost like a stain, you know, well, I spilled it on the carpet, right smack dab in the middle of the living room, you walk in the door, stuck right there, you know, and there's this big brown stain like this, you know, and so, you know, we talked to the management company, said, well, we spilled it, you know, the stain, we need to get it fixed, so their solution was to come in and go into the closet and cut out a piece of carpet from the closet and replace a square in the middle of our, of our uh, living room. I think the stain looked better because, you know, <laughs> the closet carpet was all clean. Everything else was totally wrapped around it, you know, and it just stood out. I mean, when we're trying to do that kind of stuff in our lives, it just doesn't work. And, and some of us, that's the way we're trying to live. And without other people involved in our lives, we're never going to find the encouragement, the perspective, the 300-degree feedback, the sustained accountability and encouragement to really embrace real change. You, you cannot experience real transformation, superabundance, without experiencing real practical change to your life. And that takes real, real work. It's why we emphasize over and over again in our new Add One emphasis about attending. You need to be faithful in being in corporate worship. You know, it can't be one of the things, well, it fits my schedule, you know, two Sundays a month or three Sundays. You need to be faithful in worship because you, you need this. I need this stimulus every single week. And then to be in our life groups and, and getting, seeing what God's doing in other people's lives and having speaking into our own and encouraging us, walking us through tough times, providing us with wisdom. I mean, I'm so bad. I got several groups that I go to. One on Monday night, one on Tuesday morning. You know, and then it kind of drags on. I go to prayer on Wednesday morning. Even that's kind of like a group, and it just keeps going. I need all the help I can get. My wife thinks I'm beyond help, but you know, um, I'm trying to get there. It involves real change, and all the stuff we've been talking about is really designed to help us engage in real fundamental change to our lives, so that we can experience God's superabundance for us. It's designed to be a blessing, not a burden. One last truth: living with superabundance requires that we we align our lives with God's purposes. You know, th- this may relate to the idea of, of real change, but, but if our orientation is I want God to make the life that I want better, never going to experience abundance. If our agenda is that, God, I know the life I want to live, I want you to bless me with it. Not gonna ha- you're never going to experience abundance. You might actually get the life you want, but you're never going to experience abundance. If you and I want to experience abundance, we have to say, God, I want to be the blessing the agent of grace to others that you want me to be. Because God always blesses us to be a blessing. Started with Abraham, he's never stopped. He blesses us to be a blessing. God wants to make other people's lives better through us. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. Or you shall be my witnesses. Or you are my ambassadors. As though I'm making my appeal through you. That's God's mission for us. That's why we've been emphasizing things like reach one and serve one. Everybody finding their place to serve and, and making a difference so that they're passing on the blessings that God's pouring into their lives. And that's why I've been trying to reach out and give our faith away to others. Many of us have been praying that we would see 52 people, one person per week, come to know Christ. We're way off the pace, my friends. We're not, I, you know, as of right now, we won't even get close to 20, half of that number. And, and it's just so hard for us to, to build our lives, even our ministries, around the, the task of giving away our faith. But if you and I really want to experience superabundance, 
We have to align our lives with what God has for us. You see, all of this is designed to be a blessing. It's not supposed to be a chore. It's not supposed to be another thing to put on your to-do list. It's not supposed to weigh us down. It's supposed to be our path to freedom, to superabundance, to that life that's just overflowing <laughs> with all the good stuff. You know, I want to extend an invitation to you this morning. Probably every single one of us sitting in this room this morning knows at least one thing that we need to do in order to take a step closer to living with superabundance. I just want to challenge you to make that commitment today. That's what, for some of us, it's, it's the, the first step is to say, I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord for the very first time. You know, I've believed in God. I've heard about this Jesus stuff, but I don't know if I've ever made a choice for myself to say I'm going to believe. I invite you to make that choice today. As we sing our final song, I'll be standing down here. I invite you to come down and say, you know what, I, I want to take that step. Would you help me? And I'll pray with you and see you through that journey. Others of you, as we've been walking through this message, the, the, one, a light bulb went on. You say, you know, that's what I got to deal with. I invite you to make that commitment today. Whether it's something you just indicate in the back of your card, whether you come and pray at the altar, just take that step. Say, I don't want to settle for ordinary living anymore. I want life and I want it abundantly. God's eager to give it to us. Will we take it today? Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for your passion. You know, we might get excited about this on the third Sunday of 2012, but Father, you've been excited about this stuff before you started the world. And we're thankful for that. But we've got lots to learn. And we have a lot of blessings we haven't experienced yet. So we give you these moments as we sing a final song. Let it not only be a song of praise, let it be a song that changes our lives forever, forever as we make commitments to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs> After we've been singing for a little bit, I'll invite our ushers to come forward and to get our, uh, receive our offering. But let's...